Hello and welcome to this Cloud of Data podcast with your host, Paul Miller. Today I talk with Mark Toon from KPMG. Mark is Global Head of KPMG's Data and Analytics business and CEO of KPMG Capital, a new company formed to accelerate innovation in data and analytics of interest to KPMG and KPMG's customers. We talk a little about KPMG Capital and explore a recent survey the company ran in which they surveyed senior executives from companies around the world with more than $1 billion in global revenue. We'll learn a little about their perspectives on the importance of data and the ways in which their companies are responding to the requirements that they perceive. I hope you enjoy this podcast and we'll come back for others from the cloud of data. Thank you. Mark, hello, and thank you very much for joining me for this podcast today. Before we get into some of the detail around KPMG Capital and your views on data and analytics, can you tell listeners a bit about yourself and your own background, please? Sure, Paul. Um, I've been with KPMG for three years. I was the CEO of a company called Equiterra, and Equiterra was focused on helping our clients globalize their business, and KPMG acquired it um, after about 10 years of operation for Equiterra. Um, and uh, I live in Houston, Texas, but I, I manage an uh, organization around the world, so as you might imagine, being based doesn't really necessarily mean anything. Um, I guess from a qualification standpoint, um, I'm, uh, Equiterra was the fifth company that I start, had started. And uh, prior to that, had uh, experience in both marketing research and had a, a statistics uh, undergraduate degree. Okay, good. Thank you. And KPMG. Now, I guess most listeners will have heard of it. They'll know it's a big four auditor. They may even know that it does stuff in the professional services field. But investment, KPMG capital. What's that about, and, and why is KPMG interested in it? Paul, um, KPMG, uh, like you said, is a, you know, a very large accounting slash audit tax and advisory organization. Uh, we do a significant amount of work in, in all three of those categories. And um, as our global head of data and analytics, I actually work with our audit, our tax, and our, our consulting business. And as as most of your listeners are aware, you know our clients are having data coming at them in all kinds of speeds and all kinds of forms from multiple sources, you know, in huge huge volumes, and they're really struggling with how to use their internal data uh, as well as other sources of data to really come up with clear, actionable insights um, that they can you know, make business decisions on, like increasing sales or lowering costs or managing risk, you know, et cetera. And, and these days, they really need to do this expeditiously. And so one of the things from a KPMG perspective is that, you know, we looked back in the Internet stage and, and really didn't like the way that KPMG was trying to bring innovative solutions to the marketplace. So with respect to data and analytics, um, one of the things that we feel is extremely important is trying to get the right technologies and innovation into our clients' hands faster. And so our, our approach related to KPMG Capital and the fund specifically that you're referring to, which is our Global Data and Analytics Fund, is really a, an investment fund that we're investing in opportunities 
um, disruptive technologies and new ways to kind of look at data and using technologies to better enable our clients to get access to the best thinking in the world technically. Um, so it's different in that um, we're really truly trying to accelerate innovation into really large organizations. Um, and the way we're going about doing it is investing, partnering, joint venturing uh, with businesses uh, to really assist our clients in being able to get clear insights from the data, solve their most complex business problems, you know, make smarter decisions, and, and ultimately be more successful. And those companies you're investing in, presumably they can continue to sell products and solutions to non-KPMG customers as well. This isn't exclusive. Sure. I, I, if you look at the investments that we're making, um, we're making anywhere from minority investments in organizations to buying companies outright. Um, certainly in those situations, we're taking minority interests in companies. Um, you know, the vast majority of organizations that have these kinds of technologies are relatively small, and our focus is in uh, early to mid-stage investments, um, where really KKMG brings something to the table besides money. You know, we believe at least we have a fantastic channel to our 100,000 clients around the world. You know, we have 165,000 professionals um, and close to 4,000 data and analytics professionals. So, um, you know, in addition to that, we have expertise in audit and tax and uh, consulting and, and significant vertical expertise as well. So, you know, we believe we have something to offer to these small and mid-sized companies, um, specifically in the space besides just money. And if one of our listeners is at one of those smaller, mid-sized companies and thinking, oh, actually, this sounds like it could be useful, what do they do? Where do they go? You can certainly go to your local KPMG representative, and they will direct you to our KPMG capital team. Um, we have uh, people around the world, and, and certainly with, like I said, 4,000 data analytics um, experts, you know, they also have... Um, access to that, um, or if they'd like, and they'd like to drop me an email, um, you know, I have a team that uh, certainly assists in investments, but my email is mtlon at kpmg.com. Good. Thank you, Mark. And we'll return to KPMG Capital and some of the things it's doing in a moment, um, but what I wanted to do first was to take a slight diversion into a survey that you ran I guess you, you ran it last summer, but it was actually only published a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was interesting looking at it. You know, one of the headline results that, that hit me very quickly was this 99% of respondents reckon data is at least somewhat important. Kind of makes you wonder who the 1% is and what they were doing. <laughs> well, you probably wouldn't invest in that kind of company, would you? Uh, no, no, probably not. I, I mean, I, I would have thought... Data in some form must inform everything nowadays. Well, I, I think if you go back to the, the survey, you know, we surveyed um, 144 either CFOs or CIOs in, um, in relatively large companies, so billion dollars and more in, in turnover or revenue, um, and from a, a variety of, of different countries. And we did do the survey in the summer of 13, but we had follow-up interviews uh, really all through the fall to really try to explore exactly the answers and the meaning behind some of the answers. And I think, you know, 
there's, there's a handful of key findings. I'll, I'll mention a couple of them. I, I think one of the, the biggest ones from my point of view is that businesses really do, you know, and really are aware that value does lie within not only their data, but other data that they have access to. I mean, the majority of respondents regarding this, you know, really look at this and, and the data that they could get access to is important to their growth strategy. And I think the number was 56% actually said that they have changed their business strategy um, because of what data uh, has actually been able to show them in the, in the last year or so. I thought something else was kind of staggering from my point of view, at least, is that 96% of the companies, which I think is, is pretty staggering, um, agree that to a certain extent they could use their data better and that they really have not fully comprehended the true potential of data that they might have access to. And, you know, so from a KPMG point of view and certainly from a KPMG capital point of view, you know, we believe there's huge opportunities to get the correct technologies and the most innovative and disruptive technologies in the hands of our clients as fast as possible. And it's certainly a challenge for our clients. If you look at a couple of the other findings, I know integrating data analytics with existing systems is a challenge. And I think the vast majority of our clients are still struggling with this. And one of the other pieces was that um, about 85% said that their biggest challenge is implementing the right solutions to accurately interpret the data. And, you know, I, I would just go back to my statistics background and tell you that even if you thought you've interpreted the data correctly, a new data set arrives every millisecond. And so as data and different kinds of forms of data come at warp speeds to our clients, you know, an asymptotic equation would say that they never get to perfection. So they, they need to constantly be looking at what data is telling them uh, and at the same time be able to use personal insights and experience to interpret that data, not just by what the computer says, but what their business mind says. There's also work to do as well, isn't there, in terms of understanding when good enough is good enough? Um, you know, I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's always new data and we could always do more with it. But there's also a possibility of spending all your time analyzing to get a little bit better and to forget to actually do whatever it is you're in business to do. I view this as more of a journey yeah. as opposed to a finish line. And I think you're correct in that you're not going to go out and hire hundreds and hundreds of data scientists with the hope of getting slightly better. But I do think you kind of take it one step at a time. And as you learn things and under, under, understand correlations between certain data points, uh, you start adopting maybe some new methods, new processes, and new technologies to evaluate it further. So I, I think you're right. I mean, you'll kill yourself looking for the perfect answer because honestly, you'll probably never get to a perfect answer. But I do believe there's, there will always be fear and uncertainty and doubt um, as to whether or not there's something better. And so I kind of view this as a journey where you, you just kind of take one step forward um, and constantly look at new ways and different ways to take advantage of the data available to you. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned fear, uncertainty and doubt there. I think there will always be fear, uncertainty and doubt about whether the, you could be doing something better while there's a company with a product to sell. <laughs> They'll be telling you that you would do it better with their product. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I think we've, you know, I mean, I think you hear examples like Kodak 
or the Singer sewing machine or you know, a, a number of technologies that have just bypassed, right? Yeah. And, you know, so I, I certainly think that, you know, if you look at companies today that are doing the vast majority of their selling online um, and you start seeing what is happening around the world regarding shopping and the trends around shopping and the elimination of needing to go to a store, I mean, there's certainly some breakthrough related activities that are occurring with younger generations versus older um, and being able to understand how fast it can change. And I think data is one of those things that if you're evaluating it uh, and really understand the correlations there, you're going to be able to anticipate these changes, maybe not immediately, but hopefully faster than maybe your competitors. I mean, it was interesting that you mentioned speed there, because um, I was looking at one of the questions, which was around the perceived value of data and analytics. And the sorts of answers I would expect, you know, things like smarter insights and deeper insights and that kind of thing were definitely there. But the thing that scored highest across the board was speed. And why? I mean, I, I can understand in... Areas like, say, high-frequency trading or fraud detection, every millisecond matters. In a lot of other businesses, does it? Or do they just think it does? I think it does. Um, and, and I do believe that, you know, if you, if you go back 10 years or you go back 20 years, you know, the technologies that changed the cycles on those were in the years. They were three years, four years, five years. You know, 10 years ago, I think we started seeing technology cycles where you had massive changes in approximately a year to two years. And I think today, you know, we see new technologies every three to six months. And, and so I, I personally believe that, you know, as someone from a different generation than what's growing up, if you're not adapting to the speed that the marketplace are changing, you're going to be a dinosaur. And I think there's a lot of examples out there. And, and I think it's not just occurring with the technology industry, but it's occurring in the entertainment industry, like hotels or transportation industry, like airlines. I mean, the mechanisms and the ways you have of changing your behaviors as a consumer, it's changed nearly immediately. You know, the, and the abilities, for instance, in manufacturing to look and understand the sensors on equipment and how to be able to adjust the equipment cycles and reduce operating costs, you know, have changed immediately. Well, if you can change your operating costs by five to 10%, you can change your price by two to 3%, make more money and actually undercut your competitors. So I think really speed is, speed is really critical. I do believe that that's one of the reasons why KPMG Capital is going to be successful is that we are going to be able to take disruptive technologies to the market faster and in today's world, um, I think speed is, is a critical aspect, you know, in addition to quality and, and growth and, and some of the other factors that were traditional. Which, of course, leads on to one of the other points the survey looked at and how you embed a lot of this stuff. You know, because if we've got technologies that are delivering uh, data points very, very quickly, um, but we have, say, the monthly sales meeting, which is where these things get looked at, then you haven't actually gained anything. And so it's how we take the advantages and the advances that the technology offers, 
and feed them through into the actual working processes of the organisation, which is often a, a bigger and harder problem. I, Paul, I, think I completely agree with you. I, I think one of the things that are considered best practices, though, is, you know, historically, maybe you had a monthly sales meeting or a weekly sales meeting. You know, I, I view that now as a continuous process. And if you look at budgeting cycles, you know, traditionally companies go through a budgeting process. Well, I think in kind of the new way of looking at processes, it's a continuous budgeting process. It may be a three-year continuing cycle. And, and I think that one of the things that continuous data will provide and the ability to have machine learning from that data is really to turn some of our processes that have been traditionally cyclical into continuous processes. And I think that can do nothing but refine how we operate as businesses and, and make us more successful. Which presumably leads to the need for things like machine learning to, to actually start making some of these decisions on our behalf, you know, with, clearly with human guidance and parameters being very clearly set, but you can't wait to have people around a table to decide what to do. Yeah, it's kind of scary though, isn't it? I'm a big sci-fi fan and, um, you know, when the computers start thinking for us, we have a problem. Uh, but I think today, if we're not thinking without computers, we have equally as, as big a problem. Yeah, yes. Um, which brings us on quite neatly, actually, to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is change. And I think in the survey, you asked the number of organizations that felt they had changed in some way to cope with the arrival of big data. And about 56% overall said they had although noticeably less in Europe for, for some odd reason. Um, but anyway, about half of those who had changed, so what's that, about 25% of the whole, had right. either increased hardware capacity or done something around personnel. Now, considering the emphasis that organisations like McKinsey have been putting on the skills gap, that number feels a little low. Um, you know, that only about 25% of all of the respondents are actively doing something significant around staffing. Well, I think um, related to just data and analytics, I mean, it's change is definitely occurring in the technology space. I think one of the things that the if you if you think about change, though, probably the biggest change in this space is who's actually asking the questions. And traditionally, the CIO or the CTO um, has really led initiatives like this because they consider it a technology. And this really isn't a technology focus. This is really a business focus. So change and, and really, really, I think the largest thing about change is who's leading that change. And when, it's, when it comes to how do you position your brand, how do you market better, we find that the chief marketing officer is leading that change. And so therefore, the skills that actually have traditionally sat in the marketing organization, those are probably the ones that are changing the most. Certainly, there's data scientists and data miners and cleansers and things like that that are technical in nature. But I think probably the biggest change that I've seen, and certainly the skills gap, um, and that KPMG has identified as well is that the skills gap is how do you change the marketing professor professional in this particular case to be much more much more capable of understanding the data 
interpreting the data, and then turning that around and making a, a decision or strategic change or an operating change related to marketing. And so I think that's the biggest challenge that our clients have seen, whether it's a marketing professional or HR professional or sales professional, and, and that is being able to make the skills better for those people to interpret the data um, and, and also provide different direction as to how the data should be collected and the kinds of questions that you're actually asking the data to tell you. And how do you set about doing that? I mean, it's hard enough to assemble a data team within the CIO's fiefdom. Um, but how do you actually embed this throughout an organization? And I guess, you know, actually the hardest thing probably is the final thing you said there. It's learning how to ask the right questions. How do you do that? Well, I think, I think it. I think it starts, and for many, or I, mean, I think you have organizations that are best practice in this, and I would say that it's very cultural. Um, and, and take KPMG as an example. I mean, we are. I mean, with, without pardon the uh, the pun, but DNA is in our DNA. Um, I mean, you know, we we have taken data and done analytics towards data for years, and so. If you look at an organization that, whether it's in our audit or tax or advisory business on how we interpret data, how we take algorithms and try to understand correlations, how we actually take those correlations and come up with better business decisions, whether it's related to cost or quality or, or timeliness measures, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but it has to be embedded kind of in the culture. And I think that many organizations start with a culture that's more of a... Uh, gut feel and go with the decision and it's okay to make a mistake. Um, but I think that companies that are going to be successful in here are the ones that start taking much more of a data approach and saying, okay, you know, what is the data? What are the questions we're trying to solve? You know, from, from our perspective, one of the first things we do and, you know, pick whatever company you want to pick, um, we go in asking, you know, what are you trying to solve? What's the business problem? And when you start from the business problem and start then drilling down into the kinds of questions you have to ask your data, um, it's kind of a different approach. And, and I, I believe, at least, is that we will, we will have, and especially with younger generations moving into management, we will have executives that are much more equipped to have a data culture than we have in the past. And I think it's because they're just used to understanding the kinds of data that they're collecting, and they'll be able to then turn around and ask the right questions uh, to make sure that they're actually collecting the right data and that they're performing you know, the right kind of analytics on top of that data. And is it for those executives to be doing the analytics as well? Do they need to understand the numbers, or do they just need to understand the, the raw output, the dashboard, or the graph? Well, I think you need to understand the correlations and whether you see it in a chart or whether you see it in a number, I personally don't think it really matters. I mean, I, mean, I think obviously numbers are ultimately what drives the charts. Um, and I think many times people, when they visualize something, they can they get a better understanding of how it works. Some people would rather see numbers. Some people would rather see graphs. Um, but I think for the most part, understanding the correlations and what's causing that to, the trend lines to go up and down is, is the most important aspect of it. Yeah, yes, I think that's, that's very true. Um, and 
clearly a, a challenge moving forward. Now, moving on to one of the other questions you were asking in the survey, you asked about integration. And, and I think, as, as you said at the beginning, 42% of the respondents saw integration as the biggest single challenge in terms of pulling all this stuff together and getting value from it. And I think you know, we've seen that with a lot of the early work around big data tools like, say, Hadoop and Cassandra and, and all the others. They were pretty rough and ready. Um, and you tended to have effectively a pilot uh, which sat off to one side of the business and data was dumped from wherever it, it belonged into something like Hadoop or Cassandra or whatever, analysed, and then the results were fed back out, which doesn't really integrate into the day-to-day running of the business. It's not sustainable. How do we make that change and move from trial and error and development and test into something that's productionizable and mission critical and mission grade? Well, I think a couple of things. Um, in some cases, you may not want it to be. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, I, I had a CEO say to me recently that um, they have a lot of data. They crunch a lot of data. They crunch a lot of numbers. Um, and they're thinking about not collecting that data because they don't see any insights from it. They haven't been able to understand anything from it. And so they're just going to stop collecting it. And I kind of started laughing and he questioned me and I said, well, I said, I I do find it interesting because if I were you, what I would conclude from it is maybe you don't have enough data or maybe you don't have enough external data or maybe you're not asking the right questions. And, and I think many times, you know, if you're, a technology firm or you're in the data management, you're trying to sell integrated systems. Um, But in general, if you look at the technologies, the technologies are coming more and more online where you don't have to have um, perfectly aligned technologies. Instead, um, what you need is a tool and tools to be able to understand the correlations between and understand the context between data. Um, so I guess just in summary is that I, mean, I think understanding what you're trying to get from the data is important. I don't think necessarily that all of your systems need to talk to each other. You've got to be able to understand how siloed systems, um, how that data may correlate, and, and how um, there really is some understandings between certain information and different systems. Um, so you know, I, I think the biggest I think the biggest challenge is there is a cost to data. There's a cost to collecting data. There's a cost to storing data, but those costs are going down dramatically. And I think the largest cost related to data is going to be the interpretation side and really understanding, you know, what kind of correlations and what kind of decisions you're going to make from that data. And presumably that's a big area for um, sort of tools development moving forward as well, Uh, not just crunching the numbers, but explaining what the result means. Yes, and, and, you know, I can't give you a solid number on this, but um, if I was a large organization, I'd be spending an equal amount of time on information that was not my own data. Um, I, I think you can find a significant amount of insights by taking your existing internal data 
and looking at external data and understanding what those correlations provide you. Yes, yes, indeed. I was talking to a, a firm in New York last year about exactly that. They were taking public data sources and packaging them up in ways that made it easier for a large organization to internalize them and, and compare them with their own stuff. Um, so you've got your sales figures. What happens if you look at them in relation to the weather or some other you know, um, political activities or national sentiment or whatever it may be, you begin to see trends that perhaps help you to understand what was going on? I, I'm not going to talk about the weather or politics. <laughs> Probably wise or presumably American football either is um, off limits as well, given yesterday. It depends if you're a Seattle fan or a Denver fan, I guess. <laughs> I'm safely in the UK. I'll just keep quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, j just as we sort of uh, begin to wrap up here, um, this survey, you were talking to senior executives from large companies, um, over a billion in, in revenue. If data is as, as critical to them as it appears from the survey results, are these large companies going out to the sort of startups that dominate the big data landscape at the moment and trusting them? Or are they waiting until the tools get bought? So, for example, do they sit and watch something like Vertica and say, it's really good, but I don't trust you until HP buys them? And do they sit and watch something like Greenplum and say, it's exactly what I need, but I don't trust you until EMC buys it? Paul, they're doing both, and and I do I do believe though that if you go back to historically the way that they interacted with internet companies, um, they did both then as well. I mean, I do believe that our approach at KPMG Capital, where we're going to be investing in opportunities to better enable our clients and bring them the best thinking in the world on a specific business problem. Um, is going to be hugely uh, advantageous to those kinds of companies as well as our clients. I mean, I do believe that we're going to accelerate innovation uh, by being able to link those parties together. Um, I believe that KPMG's brand and the amount of due diligence and quality that we provide uh, on top of products and on top of anything that we would invest in will be an additional kind of stamp of approval for our clients. Um, you know, and and I believe that that will be a very welcomed um, related uh, activity for not only our clients, but as well as the companies that we invest in. So that, that badge of approval makes even the smallest startup a little safer. It does, because we wouldn't invest in it if we didn't think it had uh, huge merits for our clients um, and the ability to be wildly successful in the marketplace. And, you know, and that's, I mean, we're we're very we're we're philanthropic organization, but you know, um, we want to do two things. We want to service our clients in the best way possible, giving them the best thinking in the world. Um, but at the same time, we want to make money too. You know, so we're going to invest in things that you know we believe is um, perfectly aligned with what our clients' needs are. So we've only scratched the surface, really, of the these survey results. But looking at them inside KPMG and thinking about them and looking at all the comments that you've also had from, from the respondents, 
how does this shape your strategy moving forward through 2014? Well, I, I think it does. I think it does two things. I mean, one, it certainly supports um, the amount of investments that we're making into our services business, um, both from an audit tax and an advisory perspective. But you know, we have a significant presence where we're assisting companies in their data strategy and helping them through things like security, the management of data, the organization of data, privacy of data, um, and the risks and controls associated with that data. And, and I think just based on the fact that our clients are still struggling with this issue, uh, we understand the issue and we certainly can guide them strategically through that. You know, and then the second thing is with KPMG Capital, um, it is apparent to us that our clients are changing their strategy based on the data and the information they're getting from that data. And they are, they are consistently and constantly um, looking for new ways and new solutions to solve the most complex business problems. And, and we believe we'll be able to bring um, some unique uh, disruptive technologies into their hands to help them do that. Okay, good stuff. Um, I'm afraid we're just about out of time there. So, Mark, thank you very much for your time. It's been great talking to you. Um, and I look forward to seeing new things coming out of KPMG Capital through the year. Thank you. Great, thanks.